All right, good morning, church. What are we doing? Good morning. Okay, yes. This is where, this is where I start, right? Got to switch gears. Good morning, church. Um, I've got a question for you, and it's been a fascinating question for me this week because I came up with the question and could not find an answer. It took me all week long to find an answer, and I found the answer or an answer to the question in one of the most unlikely places as far as I'm concerned. I'm excited to tell you that story. But here's the question. There's somebody in mortal peril. There's somebody in danger. There's somebody getting ready to get seriously mortally wounded. And they don't think they're in danger. How do you convince somebody who's in mortal danger that they're in mortal danger if they don't already think that they're in mortal danger? Right? And I'm not because like usually if there's somebody in a burning building, they like are aware that there's a fire in the building, right? And, and so you don't have to convince them. They're like, yes, yes, I need to get out of this building. I need you to save my life. Like, will you take me down the ladder? But what if they don't know that the building's on fire? How do you convince somebody that's in danger that they're in danger if they don't already believe it and they don't want to? You don't convince them, you pick them up and move them. That sounds like uh, somebody who spent some time in the army. <laughs> you just pick them up and carry them out. Don't argue with them, just make sure it happens. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about that attitude this morning. Um, but we're in the middle of a series. This is our second sermon in a series that we're calling Dead Inside. And um, last week we learned that we cannot truly love without God's standard of truth. And this week, we're going to explore an idea, and I'm actually going to give you the idea up front, is that we can confidently love because God deals with sin. But I want to talk about our picture first. This is a picture that we're using as kind of the theme slide for our sermon series. And what is happening in this picture is that man who's standing there um, was injured, and he woke up in a hospital after being in a coma for a couple of months. And while he was in the coma, a zombie outbreak broke out, and the, the whole world has fallen apart, and it's like the apocalypse, and there's flesh-eating zombies running around in the world. But he's been unconscious for months and has no idea and wakes up in the hospital. And it looks like that. I mean, I've never been in a hospital that's tore up quite like that. Um, whatever your standards of cleanliness is, that's probably not it. But he doesn't know what's happened in the world. He just woke up. He's trying to refigure stuff out. And he's walking down the door. And that door, the side you can't see, says, don't open, dead inside. He doesn't have a framework for understanding what that means. Zombie apocalypse, like when I said that, all of you guys chuckled because we know that that's not real. And so if we're imagining that he's a person who lived in reality and now his reality is shifted, but he didn't know, he doesn't have a framework for understanding what's happening. So he's walking to the door that says, don't open, dead inside, not knowing that there are flesh-eating zombies on the other side of the door. And there's no one there to convince him that he's in mortal danger. Right? So that's the reason why I've used this image, and that's the reason why we're going to be talking this morning about convincing somebody that they're in danger when they don't know that they're in danger and don't actually care to be in danger. Does that, can you help me answer this question? Because I've been thinking about it all week. Get some nods in here. Y'all awake? 
Yes, no, maybe so. Show them? You got to show them. All right, we're on, we're on the right track. I like it. What we would like to do is remember we're using the, the Church of Corinth as a case study. It's a church uh, that's talked about in the Bible in a, a book called 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 5. If you would like a Bible, we've got these Bibles here that are story Bibles. Um, they say the story on them. They're ESV Bibles. And uh, it's on page 791. If you'd like a story Bible, would you like one? It's on page 791, and you can follow along. And these story Bibles we keep to give away. So that's your gift um, from us, 791 on that page. Or if you're turning or tapping on your app or whatever it is, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. And when I hear that you're getting there, I will pause and we will pray together. Jesus, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> thank you that you stepped into our lives when we were in mortal danger and you pointed us to it and said, hey, this is going to kill you. Lord, we thank you that you took death upon yourself that we might have true life. And Lord, in the hard sayings that we're going to read this morning, Lord, we pray that you would continue to point us to yourself and to the life that you offer And Father, we pray that you would do the hard work of changing our hearts to look more like you today. And we're grateful. We ask that you would speak clearly this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 9. And I'm going to read it to you. This is a little bit of a different structure from how we normally go. So I'm going to read it to you. We're going to talk about some of the, the, the words that are in this passage then we're going to ask a question, and then we're going to um, come up with an answer. So we're not going to follow along the way we normally do, but we're going to read it to begin with, all right? So let's read together. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the, hurt, the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So as a little bit of background, remember, this is a pastor named Paul, and he's writing to a church that he started. And he started it and has spent years away from them, and he's getting these reports back that there is some sexual misconduct going along. There's a guy who's sleeping with his stepmom. It's a little bit uncomfortable. He's saying, this needs to get cut out. Y'all need to stop this. You need to get this guy. If he refuses to change his behavior, you need to remove him from your congregation. That's what we talked about last week, right? So now he's clarifying, I wrote to you once before not to hang out with sexually immoral people. And so apparently there's another letter that, that this pastor had written to this church that we just don't have a record of. It, he's, he's referring to a writing that he didn't have, that we don't have a record of, other than to say that he says here, I wrote to you once before, right? So we're trying to fill in the gaps and piece together the picture a little bit from, from incomplete data. 
But he's saying, I already told you not to, not to, not to, to associate with sexually immoral people, not, not to be um, bound together with them. But I didn't mean the people of the world. Right? He says, you've, you've, you've taken what I told you and, and you've misunderstood the context that I wanted you to apply it in. So what I'd like to do this morning is first look at some fruit. And these are the fruit of the world. These are, remember we read that passage to begin with this morning and Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You walk out and you pull an orange off of a tree, unless it was like super glued or duct taped, like you can just assume that's an orange tree. You don't have to be a botanist to figure that out. You know a, tru- a fruit, yeah. you know a tree by its fruit. So we're going to look at some fruit of the world. These are the kinds of people, these are the kinds of things that you're going to run into, and they're not going to be unfamiliar to you. Y'all are all intelligent adults. This is not going to be an earth-shattering list for you. But I'm going to go through and break down some of the words so that we get a clearer picture of the kinds of people that he's talking about. First, he says, sexually immoral. And the, the, the original word that he's using is porneia. And it's just people that are indulging in sexual immorality. We're going to define that very, very clearly in a couple of weeks. The last, seri- the last sermon in this series is going to talk about sexual morality and what that means. Um, but he's not dealing with that so much. He's just saying you're going to run into sexually immoral people. You're going to run into people who use their bodies for things that they weren't intended to do. You're going to run into people who use their thoughts and their habits for things that they see as gratifying themselves but is actually killing themselves. And the word is so close, I have to say it. Like, pornography is on this list, gentlemen. I know statistically that it's something that we've got to deal with in this room, and so I want to put it on the, on the front that people who are using pornography, this is one of the issues that we're talking about. It's an attitude. It's not just the things that you do physically with your body, but Jesus takes sexual immorality and applies it to your heart. Like money is never the issue when you're talking about money issues. Money is always pointing to the heart issue. Sex is the same thing. Sex is never about sex. It's always about the heart issue. So he says sexually immoral people. He says greedy. And greedy people are people that are never satisfied with anything. Um, Whether that be financially, they're never satisfied. I always got to get a little bit more. I got to get to that next raise. Or they're people that are never satisfied in their career. You know, I've just got to achieve that next mark. I got to achieve that next mark. I'm never going to be satisfied. And the, the nice thing is this is Bible stuff. This is not related to our lives. We don't know anybody who is not satisfied with anything in their life. All right, got the chuckle. You got my sarcasm. That's good. <clears throat> a swindler, this is somebody who's deceptive, somebody who will, will try and misrepresent themselves and what they're trying to do. They're deceptive. They want to deceive people so that they can steal and build themselves up. Um, an idolater is somebody who worships a God other than Yahweh, uh, other than the God that's described in the Bible. And there are all different kinds of ways that you can worship a God other than the God that's described in the Bible, other than the God that is real. God is the living God. He's described as he exists. And so our desire, our hope, is to understand him as he truly is. And so if the God who exists, who is holy and perfect and beyond all understanding, if we were to, to call him a name that wasn't his name, like that would be a, a abuse, right? But if God steps into history and says, my name is Yahweh, my name is Jesus, and we call him a name other than that, then we're still not being true to what's going on. So this is, this is a huge rabbit trail. We talk all day long about idolatry. It's a 
really fascinating topic in the Bible and in our lives. Um, often the most worshipped idol other than, um, I find that the most worshipped idol is yourself. When you are God of your own life and you're calling the shots and you're doing everything, making all your decisions in order to please yourself, then you've made yourself an idol and there's a problem in your heart. Revilers, and this, I mean, the Bible is so old and dusty. Revilers, somebody who is just a constant complainer. Every time you turn around, they've got something negative to say. They're always bringing people down. They're always tearing other people down. The good thing is, is that none of us, we've moved past this, and none of us have ever worked with a person who's constantly telling how everybody else is doing their job wrong. So that's the kind of person you might run into, maybe hypothetically one day, is a reviler. And a drunkard, this is somebody who's addicted to a substance, and, and their addiction and their worship of the substance is likely tied somehow to their loathing of themselves. And it's, it's a huge, huge, huge topic. And I, 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 it's on the list, so I'm telling you about it, but this is just one of the things that he's talking about. These are the kinds of people that you will run into. These are real people. This is the hard thing. This is the hard thing. I can give you a list of biblical words, and I can give you the list of biblical definitions the best that I can understand them, right? And we can all kind of nod our heads and be like, yeah, that, hypothetically, that makes sense. But these are descriptions of real people. These are descriptions of people that you will meet at work. These are descriptions of people that you will meet at the grocery store. These people have faces. These people have names. These people have families. And I'm afraid that there have been times where the church has come together and come together with some kind of a list of these are all the bad things that are going on and we've forgotten that these are real people who still need Jesus, who have a life story that isn't finished yet. Right? And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I told you not to, talk, not to hang out with sexually immoral people. I wasn't talking about people in the world. If you did that, you would have to leave the planet. And if we get to Mars, and there's people on Mars, you'd have to leave Mars too. Because these are heart issues, not necessarily hand issues. All of these things point to some misunderstanding of the gospel in our lives. <clears throat> so he says, I'm not saying that you can't associate with people who have these issues. I'm saying, don't let them be in the church. So that's the fruit of the world. We have a clarifying question. You can't really see it. It's kind of dark, but this is a road that kind of splits. There's a clarifying question here. If you run into people that have these kind of characteristics, there's a clarifying question that you have to, have to ask. And Paul lays it out for us right here. In verse 11, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. So here's your clarifying question. Does this person call themselves a brother? And what that means is, does this person call themselves a Jesus follower? And we live in a time where there's a lot of different labels for that and a lot of different things of what that means. So the clarifying question is, is this person committed to following Jesus? Would they identify themselves as a Christian? That's the question you've got to ask. And depending on how you answer that question depends on how you associate with this person. We understand? We're, we're, we're kind of tracking here. But there's a caveat. I want to pause real, real quick. Like, people will identify, people are real bad at identifying themselves. Um, if I meet somebody and, like, the first thing they want to tell me about themselves is, like, how they, um, I can't even think of an example. 
there was somebody I met one time and they're like, oh, I'm, the, I'm so organized, blah, 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 blah. And this was a person who like, liked to think that they were organized and liked to give the perception that they were organized, but they were only organized in their head and weren't organized in a way that was helpful to anybody else. So my evaluation, no, it wasn't you, Mom. <laughs> wow, wow. Sometimes you just like walk out in the field and in the landmine. <clears throat> just kidding. <clears throat> Sometimes people's evaluations of themselves isn't all that great. Um, and there's a real simple way that I remember this. You've never seen your own face. Everybody else knows what your face looks like, but you've only ever seen a reflection of your face. We need other people to help identify the things that God is doing in our lives. And so the clarifying question is, does this person identify as a believer? The, the deeper question for us, Grace, is do we have the relationship with them to know whether they've identified themselves correctly? Because you will run into people, and I have run into people who, when you bring up following Jesus, they will let, throw out the name of some megachurch in town and say, oh, well, I go to this church. And as if that's like, I played the church card. Like, you just back off. Don't talk to me anymore. Like, we don't have to talk about spiritual stuff. I played the church card. We're on the same team, right? And, they, and the more I talk to them, the more that I dig, it's, it's, they, that's all they had in their, like, it was just, oh, I go to that church. They, they haven't thought about the faith. They haven't interacted with Jesus on a personal level. And so they might identify themselves as a, as a brother. They might identify themselves as a Christian for some reason or another, but as far as somebody who has turned to Christ and said, I want to put all of my faith in you and I trust you to give me new life, that might not be the case. So the clarifying question, does this person claim to be a brother? Then we've got a course of action. And the course of action and I'm pulling this from a different passage, but the course of action, I think, is speaking the truth in love. I think love is the course of action. And I say it here is the big idea. We can love confidently because God deals with sin. We can love confidently other people because God lives with sin. But if they claim to be a believer and they're living in sin, it's a different course, it's a different way that you speak the truth in love than if there's somebody who isn't even pretending to follow Jesus and they're living in sin. If they're not even pretending to follow Jesus, what does Paul say? What do I have to do with that? That's not my realm of responsibility. I'm a leader in the church. I'm a spiritual leader in the church. And if somebody hasn't come to me and submitted to me and looked to me for spiritual leadership, then why would I pretend like I'm leading them spiritually? I'm not. What do I have to do with judging outsiders? The answer, nothing. And that's why we read in, in, uh, in John, I think it's chapter 16 this morning, when Jesus was getting ready to be crucified, he said, it's better for you that I leave because I will send the helper. And one of the things that he says that the Holy Spirit is going to do in the world, when Jesus leaves the world, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin. It ain't your job. People who are living in sin and they know, like, and I don't know how to parse out all of the ways that the church has misrepresented these truths over history. I just know that we're responsible for how we play it today. And there are people that you will come to and, and they'll hear that you're a Christian or that you're regularly attending church and you suddenly have like this halo, like, oh, we can't talk to this person. I can't curse around this person. Um, and it's like, I don't have the same expectations of you. It's okay for you to be where you are. 
I can love confidently because God is going to deal with your sin. I can listen to your story. I can hear the things that you're struggling with. I can try to show compassion to you in the, in the difficulties that you're facing. I can come arm in arm with you and walk with you. I'm going to continue to point you to Jesus as the solution to your problems. But I don't have to be responsible for convicting you of sin. God's going to do it. Right? Then we have the other side, which is really the big point of this whole passage. Remember, we're kicking a guy out of the church for sleeping with his stepmom, right? That's really what we're talking about. <clears throat> the truth in love to somebody who is saying that they follow Jesus and continuing to live in sin is to tell them the truth about what's going on. And here's, the, here's where we started. How do you convince somebody who's in mortal danger they're in mortal danger if they don't care to know. Dramatic sip of water. I think there are a couple of answers to the question. The one that Paul rec recommends here um, is to... And this is just two different, two different ways of thinking, two different lanes of traffic. <coughs> There's, if there's somebody in danger and they don't know that they're in danger, like usually somebody has to show up to tell them. You've got to be in their way, care enough about them to be in their way to let them know that they're in danger. And sometimes you can turn, turn their head and say, that building, like down the hall, you see, that's fire. You can show them the danger. There are times where you can show them the danger and say, this is a problem that you're going to have to deal with one way or the other. Let's leave together. But there's times, <laughs> and, and I look to Jesus for this, there's times where they will not realize their danger until you put yourself in the path of it. There are times where people will not believe that they are in danger until they look at you and say, wait a second, this is costing you something. You've put your life on the line for me. Like, this is having negative ramifications. You're spending time with me, and it's costing you money. Like, why would you do that? Well, I think God wants me to minister to you. I think God wants me to spend time. I think Jesus wants me to continue to point you in his direction. And if I take the better job then I won't have this relationship with you. There's time, and, and so, and I say that I'm pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the one that when we didn't think that we had anything wrong with us, when we thought that we had everything figured out, he's the one who laid his life down and died to prove that sin was going to kill us. He says, y'all don't get it. You don't, you don't understand the danger that you're in. I will take it upon myself in order to show you the kind of danger that you were in. And if you choose to trust me, I'll take it all upon myself. But if you choose not to trust me, then you're going to have to deal with it yourself. But it isn't because I didn't show you. It isn't because I didn't love you enough to be in your way. It isn't enough that I didn't love you enough to literally stand in the flames and take the heat myself to save you from them. So when we're talking about a believer in the church, like it's going to be painful to look at somebody and say, I can't even have dinner with you, man. You, you're telling me you're following Jesus and you're continually going and living a life of sin. You, you won't change. 
and, and, and I love you, but I love you enough to tell you that this is wrong enough that I can't even associate with you anymore. I can't, we can't have dinner. We're not going to hang out. The relationship between you and me has changed. Because you don't see the danger that you're in. I'm going to pull back, let you be part of the world, and let God do the work of convicting of sin. Do, do you understand the two different ways? We can love confidently because God lives in, or God deals with sin. So do we confidently love those who are far from God? This is the thing that I wanted to talk about, and I kept coming to the text, and I was like, this is not the, this is not the point that he's trying to drive home, and I want to be faithful to the text. But this is the question I want to talk about. Do we confidently love those who are far from God? Can we look at somebody, identify them as somebody who's far from God, and say, great! Can we, <laughs> it's so funny, and I, I bring up the cursing thing because it's happened to me a couple of times in the last couple of, uh, couple of weeks where somebody, like, they find out, like, oh, you're the pastor of the church? Like, oh, snap, um, golly gee. And I'm like, come on, you just got out of prison. Do not tell me that that is how you talk. I said, you can talk normal with me. I don't have these, ag- no, 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 you're the preacher, man. You're the preacher. I'm like, come on. Do we confidently love those who are far from God? Can we, can, we under, can we understand that somebody has to be in their way to show them? Can we, is it possible that God has put you in somebody else's life to point them to him? You can't leave it to me. There are people that you know, there are people that you can talk to that wouldn't spend a minute listening to anything I had to say, especially if they knew that I was the preacher. Is it possible that God put you in other people's lives to love them and point them to Jesus? Do we confidently love those who are far from God? Are we confidently, are we, can we confidently respond that we confront hypocrisy? So when we see hypocrisy in the church, can we respond confidently that we deal with that one way or the other? We have the hard conversation. This is a sin problem. This is going to lead to death. You either need to make a change or you've got to get out. And I can set the example and I can tell you stories about how this has happened over the last couple of years and the conversations that we've had. But I don't know everything, church. Y'all are the church. (laughs) And y'all are in each other's lives in ways that I can't be. And so there might be an opportunity where the Holy Spirit points you to something else that's going on in somebody else's life that I will never know about. Hey, there's, there's a little bit of hypocrisy here. Like, you realize that's serious. Can we confidently respond that we confront hypocrisy? And here's a real challenge um, for me. Are we building a community of people that folks will care about if they get kicked out? Like, if this is just something that we do on Sunday and we kind of come and we dress up and everybody wears a collared shirt and we all kind of high-five and we pray together and everybody feels good, we sang a couple of songs, that dude with the beard preached for way too long, like, and then we go home and eat some lunch, right? Like, if this is just something that we do on Sunday, then so what if you get kicked out? Like, there's a thousand other things you can do on Sunday. 
But my question, Grace, is are we building a community? Are we in each other's lives? Are we having life-giving relationships enough with each other that if someone were to look at you and say, I cannot talk to you, I'm not going to have a meal with you anymore, I cannot associate with you until something changes in, in your life, like, would you care? That's the harder thing. Because we live in a consumer society where you kick somebody out of church and they just go like 25 feet down the road to another church. So are we building a life-giving community, a community that is above any, not any other, but a community that actually like means something to people so that they care if they weren't allowed, or if we, if we said to you, you need to deal with this or get out. And all of these things are things that God wants to do. This isn't stuff that we can just kind of like pull up our bootstraps and try to make it better, and we can try harder. Um, Loving people is difficult. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that. But loving people is difficult, and loving people that like are guaranteed not to reciprocate and are guaranteed to be angry at you for it, like that's hard too. You can't do that by yourself. I'm telling you, you need the Holy Spirit to go with you. You need to seek God and who it is that he's asking you to love. We need to seek God as we have hard conversations with each other. We need to seek God that he would be the center of the community that we're building, that any life-giving community that we build here is stemming from the life that he gives to us. It's all centered on him. But, church, we can love confidently because God deals with sin. It's not our job. We just got to stay in our lane. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.